We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. I am Joe Musso alongside Matt Rooney, alongside a long way away, Matt Beck. In Chicago, I'm still here out in Nebraska in the land of milk and honey. We're coming at you for the Moose and Roots podcast, episode nine. Matt, we got a full docket, and um, I, I don't, I don't know what it is, but these these Chicago sports franchises continue to torment us and put me in a position where I need to rant. You need to okay. Well, one of the move, one of the teams put me in a position to rant this weekend, but the other, I. I'm absolutely in love with with what they've done so far. Um, so I can't say I'm as in as as grumpy of a mood as you might be, and it might fed up as a mood as you might be this morning. But I'm uh, I'm a little bit more optimistic than you are. I think we're on the same page there. Uh, okay. We'll get into the details of it, but a lot of moves for the Bulls and the Blackhawks, uh, as you said, one franchise kind of going about it with a little bit more uh, a little bit more of a plan than the other. But we're going to start things off here, Matt, with some Bulls talk. The Jimmy Butler era is officially over. Butler to the Minnesota Timberwolves for a bag of nickels. Uh, what was what was your thought process after this one? So I was I, w- I was at work Friday night when there was a Friday night Thursday night whenever this happened, mm-hmm. um, and we were just finishing up a production meeting and you know without the Butler story and then somebody you know read a tweet you know Butler gone to Minnesota and I if, right when I knew saw it was Minnesota heard it was Minnesota I, my heart just kind of sank a little bit because I thought anything less than a top five pick for Butler you just hold on to him and, and see what you can get maybe at a deadline for a team who might be a little bit more desperate yeah. um, but you know I saw the return um, I can't say I'm surprised Granted, right now, I, I'm sure that was the best offer that was out there for them. But and I, I guess it doesn't I mean you got to take it. I, I'm with you there. And if they were dead set on taking Butler, okay, whatever, they took it. I'm more mad that this is exactly what this is what happens when you hold on to it to an asset too long. It was a depreciating asset. The value was only getting lower, and this is what happens: that people undercut you. You you sell at a you know a bargain value, and it's it's essentially not quite as bad. But it's it's like what happened with the Blackhawks and Patrick Sharp a, little, a few years ago. Stan Bowman yeah. thought he had this top six left winger, which he did at the time, who he can get, you know, a first round pick, a prospect, and you know, probably another mid level prospect in return for Patrick Sharp. And had but, he but pulled, this- he, had he pulled the trigger on the draft, he probably wouldn't have gotten exactly what he had in mind, but he would have gotten fair value. Instead, he held on, waited, and ended up having to trade away a prized prospect and got back basically nothing in return. So it, it's, it's it. They, they held on with, to Jimmy too. I agree Sorry. with you. I agree with you in the sense that. The timing was wrong, but it wasn't a depreciating asset, Matt. You got, you got Jimmy Butler under contract until 2019, and this is a mind-bogglingly team-friendly contract, something from the Reagan administration, it looked like. I think he had he was through 2019, and it was a $95 million contract. Yeah, it was five years, 95. Which is peanuts in the NBA today. So once that window closes, as it did... You hold on to this asset. It's not a depreciating asset. It's just a guy in his prime and the timing isn't right. So if you held on to him this long, continue to hold on to him. Don't cut bait. The biggest issue I have with this is they reportedly told Jimmy he was staying. And Jimmy's in Paris enjoying himself with with Dwayne Wade at Fashion Week or something, dressing (laughs) all crazy. There's our Fashion Flag of the Week. You'd have loved it there, Joe. I, I had to get that in. But just the lack of class that... Gar and Pax have once again treated this franchise with the lack of of planning, the lack of knowledge. And I think it was our first ever podcast when we were talking Bears draft. Yeah. My keyword, my go-to word was short-sightedness. This was another short-sighted move. If you're going to move him, you move him last year prior to the deadline and you go get the Celtics lottery pick. Or you hold on to him until next year and try and move him prior to the deadline if you're all in on this rebuild and get what you deserve for him. You don't just move him to move him like they did. For a point guard who, by all means, might have had a one-year career and a poor one at that, for a pair of banged-up knees and a dunk contest winner, and for a a pick swap that you go out and pick a seven-foot finish shooter who's compared to Nikola Mirotic. 
Oh, but but Joe, they loved Chris Dunn at the draft last year. It, Didn't you just, hear that? I, they loved him. He's he's got to be good. I don't care if you love him or if you hate him. The numbers have to check out, and the players have no, to check I, out. I, I, Malik totally Monk was him. still on the board. If we're going to get into what they did with that pick, then Malik Monk is out there. I, I'm I'm with you. That was obviously if you couldn't tell sarcasm. I know you sometimes don't like no, to respond I, to yeah, that when you're in anger mode, and I'm sorry. I should have known <laughs> that. Um, no, I'm with you. I I, I heard they were picking Markin, and and I was. I was at first very upset with it, and now I guess I'm warming up to the idea that they think he's more of a. And first off, can, I, I, I want to say this before I get into it: Why is every tall European shooter that comes out in the draft every year? Everyone wants to say, "Well, he could be the next Dirk Nowitzki." Like every single every, every year, there's always a next. The Dirk second Nowitzki coming of Pesha. It's happened once. He's going to be the second coming of Pesha. What you're most likely doing is taking out a four-year project that could go the way of Nikola Mirotic and not turn out to be what you think it's going to be. Now, everyone at Arizona, everyone who rooted or who recruited him, they they rave about this guy, and obviously they're gonna. It's his product, but I just don't know. I don't trust anything that this front office does anymore, and there's no reason to. So if if I'm going to be wary of the moves that they're making, I'm also going to second-guess the picks that they're making if you aren't picking a proven player with a track record and a need we can fill. If you're just taking best possible athlete and that, in your eyes, the best possible athlete that you see, then I'm going to question That's fair. And, you know, I, in terms of marketing, I don't, I didn't like the pick, but at the same time, you know, like you said, everybody's raving about him and like, like his coaches and former teammates and all that will. And and that's fine. Well, speaking of the next couple of years, another thing that uh, I learned last night, they did a feature on marketing and Kenny main tagged with, with some interesting information that got me a little riled up a little too late at night. Apparently there is mandatory service time in the Finnish military. So for these next few years, Larry Markinen's not going to be at at the Advocare Center, or he's not going to be with the Bulls. He's not going to be training and getting better. He's going to be going back home to put in his mandatory Finnish military service time. So, and if it would not surprise me if that was something that Gar and Pax had no idea about. Yeah, um, I would. Like you said, it, it, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be surprising if they didn't know these things, and none of these. As much as I'm disappointed by all these draft day, you know, moves and all that stuff, I, I don't think any of them are that that surprising. I don't think I'm terribly well, shocked that they underwhelmed. I'm shocked that they made the move, and I'm also not shocked that they underwhelmed in their return just because form. just because we're not shocked anymore doesn't mean that these things can continue to happen because it's I, I'm not going to liken it to anything in a normal news cycle or the horrors going on around the world. But you get desensitized to things. Doesn't matter if it's uh, aspirin that you're taking or things going around in your reality. When things continue to happen, you get desensitized to them and they become normalized. We're we're becoming used to the incompetence of these front offices, and it's not okay. Well, again, that that's I think we talked about it probably in the, one of the first couple podcasts when we were talking about what to do with Jimmy. But it leads to indifference in the fan base, and that's. That's the worst possible outcome for an organization, and you know, going forward in the future with their fan base is indifference. It's not anger. Anger is good. Happiness is obviously good too. It's when the fans start to get to the point where, well, I expected this. I don't really care anymore, which I think Bulls fans are starting to get closer to. Uh, I don't think they're there yet, but I think you saw an attendance a little bit last year, even in the playoffs. Those last couple games against Boston after Rondo went out, attendance started to go down. I, I think we're getting close to that point, but unfortunately, I think by doing what they did here and setting themselves up for a rebuild, I think Garn Pax bought themselves some time. Matt, I think there's a money grab in there. we got to get into the merchandise game. Moose and Runes podcast t-shirts, our first po- our first t-shirt, it's going to say Chicago Sports Apathy 2017 through 2020. That's what that's what our, our t-shirts are going to say. They're going to sell like hotcakes, but that's, that's really what's happening, is that we're getting used to this and we're becoming apathetic to the Bears, to the Bulls, not so much the Hawks and Cubs or the Sox, because there is direction there, but... Uh, these teams are they're just weighing on our emotions here as Chicago sports fans, and I feel like we're not alone in that. Well, that gives me another reason to use my baseball trip t-shirt guy. He can probably there get us the logos. Your sketchy t-shirt guy that'll put anything on a t-shirt. Hey, nothing wrong with that, Joe. Now, if you listen closely to Matt, you can hear the, 
the of the pump. You hear that? That's the banana boat blowing up right now. Oh God! I, I don't think Dwayne Wade is a, is a Chicago Bull at the end, by by season start. I'll even say. Um, and if if he is, he's not playing more than twenty games because he's either going to be moved out or you know injured, whatever. Come up with stuff to keep him out. He, he's not going to play much for the Bulls this year. People, people keep saying, "Oh, he's got twenty-three million coming his way." This, that, and the other. Look at Dwayne Wade's career earnings. And I'm not, I'm not saying that twenty-three million is peanuts, but twenty-three million is peanuts. We want twenty-three million. I get boo on the phone. I say, "Hey, Gabs, go do two, three movies for me this year." Boom, we break even. We're back at that twenty-three million point. Money's not the issue for the Wades. Dwayne wants to go out. Dwayne wanted to go out in his hometown on a competitive team. Management has not put him in that situation. Dwayne. The door's open. Sprint. Run. Get out. Do whatever you need to do to get that Bulls jersey off your back because we're, we're wheels up. We're Minnesota fans now, Matt. Yeah, we're Minnesota I, fans. Well, he did already opt in, right? I thought he did officially opt in and take that 23 mil. He took the he officially opted in? I believe he officially in? opted in. Or I believe I saw that he did. If, if he hasn't signed on the dotted line yet, it was he, he's going to. But that yeah. said, that doesn't mean he has to be here. That just means he's getting paid that money. You can work around the NBA cap enough where he can, they can find a new home for him or he can just you know, sit down for a little while until they find out what to do with him. We're going to see a lot of short-sleeve, uh, a lot of short-sleeve suits, I think, this season on, on Dwayne Wade then if he's going to be on the Bulls. Better. I think that's going to be your most exciting part of the Bulls season for that first half of it is just to see what Dwayne Wade is wearing on the bench. Dwayne Wade and Zach Levine because there, there's no telling how long he's going to be out. Continued too, so. Zach Levine was an interesting, you know, main piece back for it. But I'm also, I mean, I, I don't. He can't be the main piece back for Jimmy, but I'm interested in a him as a piece. You know what I mean? No, I, well, what I'm saying is, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not crediting them for making him what seems to be kind of the most talented piece they've got back so far. But I am intrigued as a piece, just seeing what he can do going forward because he has shown flashes of being a pretty good player. He's they put up 18 points a game in each of his first couple seasons in the NBA. So he's got some potential there. And I'm wary of them acquiring a dunk contest guy. But he does have some promise. And he's not a star. He's not a top three player in a big three. But he's a guy who can shoot the ball a little bit. And I am excited to see if he's healthy You know, when he gets back on the floor, if he can do some good things for the Bulls. Yeah, right, Matt, let's close out Bulls talk here. Um, I'm going to hit you with an over-under you give me give me your thought process here. Over under thirty five wins for the Bulls next season. Well, it better be under, because what this trade did is, I, I think part of their return that they're hoping in this trade is a top five pick next year. And again, it, it'd be so fitting of the Gar Pax regime to end up with you know being a top five you know but sorry bottom five team in the league, lucking into that one or two pick and then drafting somebody who is, you know, the next star, you know, next NBA, you know, Derek Rose before the knee injury type player. And then See, basically backing into getting lucky and to find, you know, getting their guy next year. But that, that, that they better be under because that's, it's, that's it's the only that. way this trade could possibly work out as a, as a good trade is if they get a top five, top three pick next year and land a star. It's not that obvious. It's not that apparent to me though, because you got half your team in old guy tour mode and you got half your team in young guy rebuild mode there's no there's no joint force here there's no clear direction there's no trusting the process as there was in philadelphia because it's not a definitive move one way or the other that's why if you're going to rebuild and you want to do this sort of half rebuild keep jimmy build around him let him go in 2019 it's not costing you anything against your cap uh, I don't know. I think, like I said, let's close up Bulls talk. One more, one more thing before we before we do move on from it too, because there's more incompetence. The one thing that really, I guess, two things that really bothered me. I, I trading the 16th pick, I didn't like, but if they saw Levine, it, it, the rumor was they, they wanted the T Wolves wanted to be Rubio and Dunn, which I'm surprised they didn't do because the Bulls love hoarding point guards. But in order to get Levine, they had to trade that 16th pick. And if they really wanted to basically say, we're going to use our first round, our 16th overall pick this year on Zach Levine, okay, fine. I don't like it, but I, I, you know, I get it. He's probably better than whoever was taken at 16. I think it was that Justin Patton from, from Creighton. Yeah. Um, but what bothered me was selling the second round pick for $3.5 million. The Bulls pride themselves, their front office prides themselves on being able to find gems, you know, late in the first round, in the second round, whatever. That, that's what they've always said they do well, even though they don't. Um, 
that's what they said they do well. And then they said, oh, well, you know, we had three guys you might have wanted to take, but they weren't there, so we sold the pick. No, you sold the pick because you were told we want the $3.5 million rather than taking a chance on another player. And I found it very convenient that a Jerry Reinsdorf-owned team took $3.5 million two days after signing the White Sox first-round pick to a $3.7 million signing bonus. Yeah, those numbers do add up, don't they? That's It's not the first time that there have been eerily you know, similar timing moves like that with buyouts and such in the past, and I'm not, well, I'm not, also, I'm not also buying the Matt, coincidence anymore. Also, Matt, think of the timing of, of, let's go back to the Jimmy Butler move. If you could have moved him to Boston for, let's say, the lottery pick prior to the trade deadline, if they weren't throwing in enough sweetener there, it was easy for Reinsdorf to say, let's hold on to him. Let's go get a playoff series. That's what, two, three more games of playoff revenue? That's exactly what it was. That's why he wasn't traded at the deadline. I'm, I'm convinced of it. They wanted that playoff money. And fans are stupid. We're stupid, Matt. We're, we're dumb fans. Hey. But if you keep doing things like this, the dumb fans are going to realize what's going on. The dumb fans get woke. I don't know if we stay woke, but we will eventually get woke. We get woke and then get unwoke. For at least a finite amount of time. All right, you, you tried to switch earlier. I stopped you. Can yeah, you no, we're done. To a topic we're done. that'll make me happy again. We're done with bulls, and I'm done talking. So, Matt, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna alley oop you here like that Dwayne Wade picture with his arms out. You're Ooh. LeBron behind me dunking right now. Ooh. Chicago Blackhawks, go. Man, Friday morning when all this stuff went down, I, 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 I honestly, I, I wanted to send you a text like, hey, let's let's do like a special podcast today. Get this out of the way. <laughs> I need to get some now. stuff out here. But let's drop something. Let's record now. I want to. I just want to talk. But I'm glad I didn't because I had a little bit more time to even do you know some more research read some more stuff on the guy Wh- which trade do you want me to start with which one do you want me to go with first um let's start with let's start with the negative because i'm in a negative space right now let's start with johnson because that's, well, that's i'll a stop you there it's it, that's I'm a not 10 gonna... year guy that's three cups that's the guy that i'm sad to see go. we can't call it a negative but i can say it is a i, I i'm sad to see him go to uh, nicholas johnson An emotional was... negative He's been here, you know, basically since the start of this whole thing. He was on 20, he played a significant role in 2010. He's everything that you want, I guess, in a, you know, in a veteran blue liner and he's you can't say enough good things about what Nicholas Chalmerson did in the play, in his time here with the Blackhawks, three-time Stanley Cup champion. He's going to be much better, I think, in the role he's going to play in Arizona as a little bit more of a leadership kind of guy. Help some guys get over the hill a little bit there. The Hawks just really didn't need that anymore. But Nicholas Jalmerson is 30 years old. He has two more years on his contract at $4.1 million, and then he's going to get a raise. He took a you know a discount on this most recent contract he signed with the Blackhawks uh, because he wanted to be here. And he, he, without that, the Blackhawks would have been even, in even worse cap hell. But he was going to get a raise. Artemi Panarin was going to get a raise. And this was a move to set up the salary cap for the future. Nicholas Jalmerson is one of these stay-at-home defensemen who, while he still had some good years left in him, I liken it to what the Patriots have kind of done in the past. You sell high on a guy, you get rid of him before they go bad. Nicholas Jalmerson, Nicholas Jalmerson in the peak of his career was a was a guy who had a lot of defensive zone starts and would help drive possession the other way, flip the ice a little bit, and would always pretty much you know finish above water, above 50% in his possession numbers. Last half of last season, he was at 48% with his possession numbers. Uh, only got worse in the playoffs against Nashville. People love to poke fun at Brent Seabrook and say he was, you know, slow. He was getting owned by Nashville, but Nicholas Jalmerson wasn't any better. He was also getting torched. He looked a little bit slow. And the the, the type of defenseman Nicholas Jalmer is not the most fleet of foot. Not slow, but he's not by any means, you know, a great skater. Yeah. Uh, you know, stay at home shot blocker. Those guys tend to fall off a lot quicker than a guy like a Duncan Keith, whose whose feet can bail him out a little bit. Those guys tend to become Top pairing, top pairing defenseman down to you know six or number six or seven defenseman a lot quicker than than guys like Keith or uh, you know a guy like Brian Campbell. Um, yeah, and I think another another thing that weighs into kind of the emotion of it is that they've given us championships now. It's it's a lot easier to see a guy leave yes. even a ten year veteran after zero championships. This guy's hoisted three cups. We watched him. You know, we started off not knowing how to pronounce his name, and now he was a household name, and he was a pillar of the community up on the north side, like just a, a great guy. So that's where I think the emotion of the move comes in. But you do make some great points from just uh, from, from a hockey standpoint. Uh, Which on is the flip side, on the flip side of a coin of a front office 
really appearing to know what they're doing and have a definitive direction. Yeah, because and, and you look back with the I think the goal for the Blackhawks this summer was to get younger, to get more cap flexibility, not now but also in the future, and to yeah. get faster. And they've done all three of those things. The the return they got from Arizona, Connor Murphy, is a guy. He's he's not by any means a household name. He's a guy who's I basically just know his name. I haven't seen him play much hockey because he's out rotting in the desert the last few years. Good Irish kid. But good Irish. Kid. Good Irish. A good Irish kid. We, you know, I like those. Um, friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. Kind of. Uh, maybe one day. Um, but he is a. Ideally, he's a guy they see as a younger, very similar style defenseman to Nicholas Jalmerson. Maybe with a little bit more upside. Maybe a little bit better of a skater. But a guy I think they see immediately slot slot into that top four, probably on on Duncan Keith's uh, right side. He just signed a – Arizona thought of him enough to sign him to a five-year extension worth just under $4 million a year. Um, I think it was last year he signed it, so he signed up for the long term. And he was skating on Arizona's top-pairing defenseman with a young uh, young defenseman named Oliver ekman Larson. Not many probably know him because he plays out in Arizona, but he's one of the top young defensemen in the game. And when paired with Murphy, ekman Larson's defense – or uh, excuse me, possession numbers were – much better with Murphy than without, so I think that says a lot about what Connor Murphy can do alongside a guy like Duncan Keith, who yeah. Ekman Larson's game compares to. Um, yeah. And raise the play around him a little bit. And again, he's 24 years old, so they they essentially got a guy locked up till he's about 30 years old, a guy they think can be an, absolutely an impact player, a top four defenseman, at an absolute bargain bargain of a price. And he has to turn out for this to be a good deal, but mm-hmm. I, I think he will with the style of you know play the Hawks play and. Being next to a guy like Duncan Keith, he, he's he's been in a similar situation before. And the other uh, part of the return they got, Joe, I, I think you're going to love this name, Laurent Dauphin. It's a French. He name. sounds he sounds foreign as hell, so he's going to be a solid hockey player. Exactly. He's, uh, he was a second round pick, I think, in 2013. From what I've read, and, Hawks and Matt, I believe it's I believe it's Laurent. I'm going to go with that. Laurent. I like Laurent. the T. I like the hard T at the end. Dauphin, Laurent. <laughs> Maybe he'll be maybe maybe he'll be a friend of the podcast one day and we can ask him. Jersey um, sales through the roof. He's a he's a bottom six forward likely with some offensive upside. Um, he's a bigger body. He skates pretty well. Uh, he's he's a he's exactly what you want in a or has the p- potential to be exactly what you want. Excuse me, in a bottom six forward, he's going to be a guy who can go to the net, plays both ways, uh, skates well, and he, he's a big body who can develop into a guy who can win some faceoffs for you in the bottom six. And with Marcus Kruger likely out of here. That's something the Hawks need last year. I mean, need going into the future because we saw last year in the playoffs. Other than Jonathan Taves, the Hawks didn't have a guy on that team who could win a faceoff. Yeah, and then and then Matt, no more than ten minutes later, another shakeup that the casual Hawks fan, the new Hawks fan, might have been a little up in arms with. But I love the move, Breadman. Breadman outside in. Again, you get younger, you get faster. I don't know about faster, but you get younger. You get faster. You do get you faster. You get faster? I, I don't – I'm not – this isn't a knock on Artemi Panarin's speed. He, he's a fast player, all that. Brandon Saad has as elite speed for a forward as there is in the NHL. He is so incredibly sneaky fast for that. It, 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 honestly, it, he is a lot like Marion Hossa. He plays a very, very similar game to Marion Hossa. Marion Hossa – you wouldn't look at and say he's the fastest player on the ice, but he would do things where he would show off that elite speed. Not so much the last couple of years, but back when he first started with the Blackhawks and you know, yeah. those couple cups, he showed off flashes of elite speed. Brandon Saad he has that elite strength speed. Strength on the puck. Exactly. Strength on the puck, too. That, that's a lethal combination. Back when Saad was skating with Taves and Hosa, granted won't be with Hosa this year, but a guy uh, in Richard Panic probably who plays a similar style to Hosa. Um, those guys are all big, strong, fast, and they're going to be hard to knock off the puck. And when those three, when when excuse me, Tave, Sod, and Hosa were together, they would you know cycle the puck in the zone and keep you know have possession for yeah. minutes at a time. And there was yeah. nothing defenseman could do about it. Five um, on five power plays almost. They exactly like. that. It, it did look like that from time to time. Those guys and, are all so good at holding onto the puck, and, and that's huge with, for Tave's line. With Sod, I know we addressed it on a previous podcast. Kind of the Hawks found themselves spinning that wheel of uh, bringing guys back over the hill. This isn't that. This is them getting younger and making a move for a guy that just so happened to be on the team prior and can fit right back into that culture. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said make them younger because a lot of people don't realize that because Saad's been in the league longer, he's actually a year younger than Panarin. Panarin, yeah, you know, Panarin played all that time in Russia. And 
Panarin seemed young because he was new. Exactly. Sod's Sa- been around. You think he's been – Sod's 24 years old. Yeah. And uh, it, first off, this this isn't a knock on Artemi Panarin, by the way. He's going to go to Columbus. He's going to score a lot of goals for them. Probably not as much as he will here, would have here, whatever. He's going to score a lot of goals. He was an exciting, fun player to watch here. But he was a luxury where he was. Um, yeah. He played with Patrick Kane, and he was great at standing at the top of that left dot and waiting for Patrick Kane to find a stick. And God bless him whenever Patrick Kane found that stick, you know, eight times yeah. out of ten, Artemi Panarin found that top left corner, and he was yeah. great at it. But that said, people are saying, you know, oh, you know, Kane and Panarin had this great chemistry. What's Kane going to do? He's going to be so, you know, he's, he's not going to be the same player. That could not be more false. Patrick yeah. Kane in, in the past, I want, I want to pull up the numbers here so I get it exactly right. He's been a point-per-game player since 2012-2013, that, that lockout short year where they won that uh, the Boston Stanley Cup. He's been a point-per-game player since then. In 2015, when the, the, Cups won that, the, the Hawks won that cup against the Lightning when Kane you know, broke the collarbone, mm-hmm. Patrick Kane was on an MVP pace. He had 64 points through 61. Yeah. Through Remember who was playing on his line that year? Yeah. The, the best line in hockey for, for a two-month stretch? It was nothing that and Chris oh. Versteeg. That was Kane's line mate. Kane doesn't need an Artemi Panarin on his wing. He probably needs a, 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 you know, a talented center who can get him the puck and get in front. That helps him a lot. But he doesn't need Artemi Panarin. Jonathan Taves. Who do you, who do you, slot, who do you slot in at that center spot, though? Because well, now, there for Taves, now. Gets his, Taves gets his wing back. but Anisimov's there for now. I think you're going to see Nick Schmaltz probably get the first crack at it. Granted, yeah. the offseason isn't over. Um, I, I don't think the Blackhawks are done. But as the, as the mm-hmm. roster stands right now with the, saying Anisimov's back, I think that line's going to look like Kane, Anisimov, and uh, like Nick Schmaltz. He, he, showed, he spent some time on that line last year when Panarin bumped up the first line. Schmaltz got some cracks on that left wing. When Anisimov was out, Schmaltz centered that second line for a little while, and he can, yeah. he can compete. He is a creative enough passer. He skates well enough to keep up with Kane, and he's, he's he's good enough offensively to play with Patrick Kane. Or you're going to see, probably not immediately, but I believe we talked about it in uh, in our interview with, with Dave Poulin a while back, uh, Alex DeBrinkett, the kid who won the uh, MVP award in uh, the OHL this year. That he, He's only 5'7", but he put up something like he had a ridiculous like one-and-a-half goals a game down, down in the OHL. Yeah. Um, he's probably going to start the year off in Rockford, but – he has enough finish and enough ability, you would think, to be able to be a guy where you can say, hey, you're going to be on Patrick Kane's line with Artem Anisimov. Go skate in the zone and hang out on the left circle and wait for Patrick Kane to find you. Just play fast. That's all yeah. I got to uh, And he's, he's going to be a guy who likely slots right into that top six when he comes in because he's not the kind of player who's going to be a grinder bottom six forward. So he's probably going to get a crack at that at some point. Super important question, though. In Columbus, is, is John Tortorella brushing up on his Russian right now? No, uh, I don't think he believes that's a real language. I, I think no. he thinks it's fake. <laughs> I'm actually, I, I think the John Tortorella and our, our Temi Panarin could be a lot of fun from an outsider standpoint to watch because historically Tortorella doesn't really like the uh, the flashy offensive forward who doesn't, you know, not the greatest getting back on defense, who doesn't really block many shots, all that kind of stuff. They might they might clash and butt heads a little bit there. Yeah, uh, but. Uh, Going back to the Blackhawks, you, we, we touched on it a bit, and I think you had to tweet something about it, how you know this they're not done because this puts them you know because of the cap position they're in. And while it to correct it just a little bit, the, the cap position they're in this second isn't much similar. I think they, the contracts essentially even themselves out. The cap position this this puts them in two years from now or so, when Panarin and Jalmerson would have been up, is going to free them up more. It is going to make more of an impact there than we've seen a cap you know impact cap freedom that the Hawks have had. In, in years. Um, so Panarin's making six more. now for the next two years. If Artemi yeah. Panarin, he's not going to put up, I don't think he's going to be a you know quite as elite of a scorer as he was alongside Patrick Kane, but he's still going to put up his numbers, and he's going to get much more than $6 million. If he's, he's, I doubt he's going to be a guy who takes an offer from Columbus. He's probably going to hit unrestricted free agency. Someone's going to pay him you know, six years, eight mil a year. Nicholas yeah. Jalmerson, like I said, too, he's going to get a little bit of a raise, probably up to about five, five and a half million for three years. So that, that would put the Hawks in even further cap hell, or they just lose those guys for nothing. So it's definitely more flexibility in the long-term cap. For the Hawks. Yes. And not Good. to mention, I, I touched on Kane's impact a little bit from this deal. Jonathan Taves is going to benefit so much. Oh, my goodness. Jonathan Taves, I, I have the numbers here. 
I was going to say, just without the numbers, him and Saad, that was some of the best production we'd seen in his career. Exactly. And part of that you know, is, is involves Hosa and Sharpie on that wing, too. But it, Saad is, is no... He, he is a very big reason for that. I, with Saad on his wing, the, the three years Taves played with Saad, Taves averaged 0.89 points per game. The, the seasons after without Saad on his wing and you know, a declining Marion Hosa, granted still an effective one, just not the same it used to be, Taves was averaging 0.7 points a game. So yeah. there's there's a clear Taves doesn't have to shoulder, Taves doesn't have to shoulder the first line entirely anymore. He has that help. And he, has, he has another offensive guy who he doesn't really need to be set up right in front of the net in order to score, or be found wide open in the slot in order to score. From a writing standpoint, this brings so many play on words back into play. Super <laughs> sod, the sod father. We come up with a couple new ones. We get a new one each week. I, that, that's actually once hockey season starts, maybe we come up with a with a new Brandon Sod nickname of the week. Perfect. It's an easy name to work with. Segments. I love it. But so I, Hawks, I, I, I feel like I've talked to your guys here enough about hockey hockey technical talk for. A while. But Matt, you bring that knowledge to the table, and we appreciate that. And it's uh, it's good to know that the Hawks aren't. Uh, you know, the last couple of years, the moves they were making didn't seem to be aligned with the years prior. And it looks like they're getting back on that track of, like you said, getting younger, getting faster, and preparing the cap years in advance. The last few years were Band-Aids. They tried to yeah. find Band-Aids. Yeah. Uh, they tried to sacrifice the future to find some Band-Aids and maybe you know, get a hot one playoff run. This is, this is, these are moves, like you said, setting up for the future cap-wise and skill and talent-wise that have maybe realigned the core a little bit so when Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane get to be 33, 34 years old, they're still they're still stable and still have some young talent underneath them, and you're not going to be talking about the need for a full scale rebuild. Yeah. Well, Matt, that was all very insightful. But speaking of band aids, a big band aid for the Chicago Cubs, Kyle Schwarber finding himself in baseball purgatory, uh, also known as Iowa. But uh, I thought he, they called that heaven. That's, yeah, something like that. They just call it beige, is what they should call it. But Kyle Schwarber in AAA Iowa, trying to figure things out, trying to. Uh, Get out of a funk, get into a groove, see some fastballs, get some plate appearances. Is this something that Cubs fans or Cubs uh, manager, Cubs front office, Cubs ownership should be at all worried about? Was this a Bo Jackson flash in the pan, or is this just something that needs to be figured out? Well, I first off, I'm glad you brought this up because there is an element to this, not exactly this topic, but I'll, that I'll be getting to in my grievance. But as far as Schwarber goes, I... I I don't think I'm terribly worried yet as a Cubs fan. Um, I, I think it is, it's definitely concerning, but I don't think I'm terribly worried about his future. I think we've seen the elite power that he has. And I, I do think while you and I talked about early on in the year, didn't think hitting leadoff would do much to his approach or change him much at all. I, I really do think it did. Sure, I think it sure put him in a different mindset. And I think he hasn't been able to get out of that mindset since. And he can't keep hitting 170. They've tried everything they can do for him. They've tried top of the lineup. They've tried bottom of the lineup. They've tried sitting him against tough lefties and letting him watch. They've tried, you know, pinch hit situation, whatever. It's They're none of it's working. It's clearly mental, I believe, at this point. Yeah. Get him, get him down to Iowa, and you, that might screw with his head a little bit, but I guarantee if you put him, you know, three or four in that Iowa lineup and he starts hitting 330 and hitting balls over that right field wall on a consistent basis, he's going to get it back a little bit again. And then once he comes back up, he should be hitting – four or five just about every single night. There's none of this playing around the order. You need to put him in the same spot every night, say, this is your role. I don't think about anything else. Hit the ball over the wall. And when you're hanging under the Mendoza line like he is right now, was it 171 he was hitting, It it's hard to call it just a slump because it's been a month and a half of really bad baseball at the plate. And everything – you said there's credit to all of that, him having to move around, him being uncomfortable. But on the mental side of things, Kyle Schwarber hit the ground running in Chicago. We never saw Kyle Schwarber struggle. Now we're seeing him struggle for an extended amount of time, and I think that's really worrying people and setting off some alarms. But I agree with you in the sense that I don't think they should be looking to move him or looking for some sort of other solution. You just got to let a guy figure things out sometimes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I totally agree with you. I wouldn't be looking to move him yet. Um, granted, I don't think he should have the untouchable tag that you know he was he was painted with early on. But I, I 
panic mode, no concerned. Yes, I, I think he's going to end up being just fine. And like you said, we we've seen we saw flashes of Kyle Schwarber being great, but that is really all we've ever seen of Kyle Schwarber being great. Yeah. Well, oh, the only times he's earned this reputation of being this great ball player and you know great power hitter, and he's going to be a forty home run you know forty home run a year guy for the rest of his career. But we've never seen more than just a sample size. He, we had those flashes uh, the year they won they lost in the NLCS. We had those flashes in the World Series last year, but other than that, this is his most consistent, you know, time up in the big league. So I think there's some time, to, you know, take a step back, let him go figure things out in the minors, and let him get back to being you know, a consistently good baseball player. And if you think about just the history of natural power hitters in the major league, uh, kind of steroid era aside, we're just talking about big dudes swinging the bat. Your your Adam Dunn's. Uh, just guys of that ilk, fire hydrants at the at the plate. Consistency has never been the word that goes along with that. You know, Kyle Schwarber this season striking out in the bigs a third of his at bats. That's sometimes the trade off for a guy who can hit a home run over the Budweiser side. Yeah, and I I don't think I'm terribly surprised to see that because I think once he got into that slump, and I think with all of those big power hitters, I think he had that lead off, that approach as a leadoff man of wanting to be you know, a contact hitter and not hitting home runs. But once he kind of fell back in the order, I think you do see him pressing a little bit and trying to hit the ball. You know, When you're slumping as a baseball player, that, that's the tendency, especially when you're a power player. You're going to try and hit every ball to the moon, which yeah. leads to pulling your head, which leads to you know, striking out a little bit more when really your mentality should be, I'm just going to try and hit this ball hard up the middle. And it's hard to think that way. But Kyle Schwarber might have fallen into that trap a little bit, and that's what led to those high strikeout numbers that you see in power hitters slumping. And by by every by all means, we could see him in the second half get on a hot streak, and then everyone's talking about how he's the second coming of Babe Ruth. So yeah, that wouldn't the, shock me. That, that's the uh, the cyclical sports cycle that we do live in. Matt. And then we get to hear about the genius of Joe Madden, how he's, oh, the, he's the baseball he savant, in, he's the baseball wizard. He brought in a magician, and Kyle was taken back by a certain card trick and it it, it, it put him into a, a hidden trance it flipped a switch yeah he hasn't been able to pronounce uh, baseball correctly since but he, he can hit one so. and then there but there will be a word bring him back there will be a there will be a keyword a trigger word that somebody says one time and then he'll fall out of that and then go back to striking out again it's gonna be hoosier every time he well, says no. some people will say that around him too much it's got to be like a, That's true. I, I don't know yeah. what word I'm not, I'm not good with words but okay but it'll be, uh, it'll yeah, be no, something. We're uh, we're wishing the best for for Schwarbs on, on his comeback tour. He'll be back. Hopefully, he can hit a couple moonshots in Iowa and get things going in the right direction. Yeah. 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 Matt, I aired out all of my dirty laundry in the 10, 15 minutes to start this podcast with the Jimmy Butler situation. So yeah, I should have thrown the I should have thrown the grievance open around that. Jeez. Seriously, but I'm going to let you hit it right now. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind, because I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. Um, like I said, this isn't this isn't going to take long. This isn't some major grievance. But when sh- the, the, the Schwarber news broke Friday... Uh, you know, obviously, Sox fans had you know had their fun on Twitter. Cardinals fans had their fun on Twitter, and I don't want to make this sound like I'm you know knocking all Cubs fans. If people remember, I actually ripped Sox fans in my first grievance. So this isn't just me being a Sox fan. This is just me being a a baseball fan. But the crying and defense of Schwarber on Twitter, it was basically like people were saying, "Don't bully him. He's being you're being mean to him. He's he was a World Series hero last year. He's still good." Why are you making fun of Kyle Schwarber for getting sent down? We're making fun of Kyle Schwarber. We're not making fun of Kyle Schwarber for being sent down. We're mocking the Cubs fans who, over the last three years, you know, told us he's the second coming of Babe Ruth. He's the second coming of you know the next forty-five a year home run guy. We wouldn't trade him for Mike Trout. If you want, if you want Chris Sale, it would be. If you want to trade us Chris Sale, it'd be Chris Sale for Kyle Schwarber. You know, straight up. That's what always bothered me. And I think that's why Sox fans and you know non-Cubs fans got to have their little fun. But. Cubs fans just need to get a little bit thicker of skin. Um, they've had their fun with the White Sox attendance and all that. They told us Kyle Schwarber was going to be great. He fell on his face a little bit this year. He's going to get back up. He's going to be fine. But while he's down, Sox fans have every right to poke fun at the Cubs fans who get, you know who told them that he, he's, he's going to be the second coming of Babe Ruth. And I just, 
grow some grow some thicker skin, guys. That, that's all I gotta say. It, let us have some fun. He's gonna be back. He's gonna be fine. But in the meantime, yeah, he deserves a little bit of poking fun at, and you guys deserve a little bit of poking fun for telling us how great he's gonna be when he kind of fell on his face this year. That's it. That's it. Like I said, wasn't much. Wasn't too angry, but that that, that was on my mind a little bit. Hopefully I'm glad you got it off your chest, Matt. And for the Cubs fans that are still listening, uh, baseball is it's an emotional game. Sports are an emotional topic. People. People treat these teams and these players like members of their family, and that's why things do get personal at times. And I agree with you. There's a certain uh, there's a certain level of uh, jest that you have to treat these things with, especially when it's a, a rival fan base giving you a little ribbing. Let's not uh, let's not treat it like the end of the world. I agree with you in that sense. All right, Matt. Time to jump into some buy or sell. I want to know if you're buying or you're selling. I'll kick us off here. Ooh. We're gonna kind of double back on the Hawks roster situation. Buy or sell? The Hawks roster is better than it was a week ago. I am gonna say Ooh, right. Pregnant pause. It, it, it's, an, it's an interesting question because I. I I originally thought I had an answer I was sold on, but kind of the more I go back and forth on it, I think it can go either way. Right now, though, right now today, I'll probably sell um, just because I think their bottom six is a little bit uncertain still. You don't know exactly what you're getting from Connor Murphy. You think you know, but you don't know exactly. Uh, well, I do think the sod is a better addition than Aaron. But that said, I can, I'll can i double back to you. Give me the same buy or sell you know, in, in two or three weeks when likely the – Hawks roster shaping is done, and I'll probably be buying it. Right now, though, I'll sell just because it's more of an unknown um, mm -hmm. in, in that Connor Murphy. I don't know what he's going to give me for sure. I think I know. I think I'm going to like the defensive core a little bit better with him there, but that said, I don't know for sure. So right now, I know what I had in Nicholas Chalmerson. I'll sell, but get back to me in a couple weeks when I see what they do, see the finished product, and I'll probably be buying. Yeah, because this current roster might not be where the previous roster was, but the positioning, positioning of the franchise. The I, potential for this roster, I guess. Yes, I think it's safe to say it's in a better place. So you're selling right now, though. Got to sell right now. All right. All right, Joe, I'm going to move on to mine. Um, I have I have a couple good ones here, but I'm going to start with... Uh, I'll be the judge. Whoa. Well, then I'll start with the one I know you're going to like, because I was debating which one to start with. You watched uh, watch the end of The Travelers last night? Or oh, last, did yesterday? I ever? Yeah. We... we uh, I was anchoring yesterday, and the, the 5.30 show was in peril because sometimes those tournaments go along and we get bumped, and then, uh, which is nice because my whole 10 o'clock show is ready, then I don't have to produce anything, but uh, speed holes out, and we get on air, got the highlight on air too, got to call it, so it, it was good times. Well, I'm glad you gave us a little recap. Jordan Spieth and was Daniel Berger went to the playoffs there. I went to that yeah. playoff there after Spieth had a little bit of a, a little bit of a collapse down the not a, not a major one, but a minor collapse down. Shaky with the flat stick. Shaky with the flat stick. And then uh, in in really only Jordan Spieth fashion that he can, he holds out from the bunker for a walk off win in the playoff. You don't really see the walk off win in golf from from outside the green very often. Joe, buy or sell. Jordan Spieth is the most must-watch golfer on the PGA Tour right now. Not best, not most talented, the most must-watch. This very moment today, yes, buy it. I'll buy it. It could be different two weeks from now because there's such a conglomeration of young talent that all of these guys can do something like that or can gain attention, can, can grab your eye from time to time. But Jordan Spieth, I think, is the most recognizable game name in the game as well. That that, that makes your your average sports fan interested because there's not many guys on tour that do that. Maybe Dustin, maybe Ricky, and definitely Jordan. That's why I would buy this. I also think his divisiveness is what makes him the most interesting player on tour right now. When he hits a bad shot, the mics pick him up. He's yelling, screaming. He's pissed off at himself. Just like Tiger used to be, he has that—he's got that um, that divisiveness that some people hate. You know, there were there were people coming out already talking about there's no place in the game for throwing clubs. Yes, there is. That's what golf needs. Golf needs a guy to hole out from the bunker, whip his club, have the caddy whip a rake, and then go into a chest bump. That was the coolest thing I've seen on a golf course, not a major, in the last. 
probably five, six years. That was exciting. And I got a call from my dad right after it. My dad called me. He goes, are you watching this? How awesome is this? When 62-year-old Joe Musso Sr. is saying that golf needs guys chest bumping on the course, that's what golf needs. Because yeah, he's the ahead. most classic curmudgeon to go against anything new and fun on a, on a basketball court, on a football field, on a golf course, and he was even into it. So that's when I knew that's what golf needs. Exactly. That, and that, the thing about that, though, that like what made it fun, what made it so fun to watch was that was just pure. That wasn't like... No, there was that wasn't planned. Stage, there. That wasn't planned. Granted, I mean, you can't really plan doing that, but like that wasn't like thought of. You know, that was just pure reactionary emotion, and that's what, like you said about Jordan Spieth, that I love so much. In his reactions to everything, it's just who he is, and that's why I, I, I love what he brings to the game of golf. It, it's yeah. it's similar to kind of what we see in baseball with you know, uh, you know, like the Jose Bautista bat flip stuff like that. I love seeing the raw emotion come out in these these athletes, and, and Jordan Spieth better than anybody on tour showcases that. Not only that, but in in terms of the, you know the must watch, I asked. He's also He's also the most capable of collapsing a little bit down the stretch. Yeah. I think of those those big yeah. not of anybody on tour, but of kind of the big, you know, six or seven, whatever it is now. We've seen him you know, we saw him do it at Augusta, we saw him do it a little bit yesterday at the, at the Travelers. Every time he's in contention on a Sunday, I want to tune in and watch because he's every bit as capable of holing out in the playoff from the bunker as he is from, you know, chunking the sand wedge at Augusta. Yeah. And that's why I love watching him because he eats and, and you're going to get a legitimate reaction. You're going to get a raw reaction from him. And I, it. It's, it's fun to watch. It's There's going to be fireworks one way or the other, whether it's a crash and burn or him holding out from a bunker. Exactly. And I encourage, I encourage everyone jump on Instagram, go to PGA tours, Instagram. I believe it's up on their story. They had uh, a cameraman following the final group with one of those steadying cameras, one of those, uh, gyroscope cameras and there are a couple angles of that celebration that are must see so you guys got to check that out on pga tour's uh, well, instagram page certainly look forward to that yeah little, little plug there for pga tour nothing yeah. wrong with that <laughs> all right matt i'm gonna get you with another buy or sell here it's festival season you know we had all of our you, you go on instagram like we were saying or you go on snapchat and you see everyone at Lake Shake this weekend watching a country music festival you got Lollapalooza coming down the pipe matt Buy or sell music festivals? I mean, you could answer this for me. You know my answer. I, I'm, I'm absolutely selling very hard. I don't know why. It's it's hot. There's a lot of people. <laughs> it smells weird. Agreed. Agreed. It's, it's just I don't. Why? Why? Like I'm I'm fine with concerts. I don't mind going to concerts. You know, even the Lake Shake for, to an extent. You know that's more of like a you know, a country concert type atmosphere, but these music festivals with, with the kids and their jerseys. And I sound like I'm 80 years old right now, but that's okay. It's, Man, a, little, I, it's a little much for me, Joe. I don't it's, know if I'm going to surprise you here, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. You see a bunch of, bunch of chicks on their, on their phones, taking Snapchats on a Ferris, not a Ferris wheel. What's the one where it raises you up and you're in the like little cheap seat and on the chain seat. Carnival rides. Anywhere where there's carnival rides, I don't want to be. I don't trust carnival rides. They're sticky. They don't run well. They're being operated by less than savory individuals. I'm out. I'm out. I'm by no means a people person. I to anybody who knows me knows that I don't like people. And if I don't like I don't people, like I'm not going to like festivals. I don't like lines and a lot of lines at festivals. You're waiting crowded. a lot of lines. And like if if there was a festival fast pass, if you give me VIP at the festival, I'm sure it'd be a different experience and I'd enjoy it. But uh, I'm not a, I'm not a general admission guy. Quote me on that. Hashtag out on festivals. <laughs> and there is our non-sports topic of the week. There you go. <laughs> Matt, you got one more for me? I do have one more for you. And I want to... I, I want to preface this by saying this is not like a Tim Tebow podcast where we're going to be your big Tebow fanboys talking about him, loving him, all that stuff. But I, Tim Tebow got promoted from low A Columbia to high A Port St. Lucie yesterday. He's hitting a cool 222 uh, in, in low A Columbia and got, got promoted up to, uh, what was it, high A. And I don't remember the quotes exactly off the top of my head, but basically they were saying, you know, Sandy Alderson, the Mets GM, was saying, well, you know, he's, he's, he's hitting low, but, you know, it's, we, we take a lot of different things into 
you know, uh, consideration, you know, his contact <laughs> rate, you know, exit velocity, all this stuff. No, he's hitting 222 and you promote you promoted a 29-year-old outfielder who's hitting 222. The only thing you're taking tickets. into you want, account is ticket sales. You want your name in the news for something other than your team being terrible. For you continuing to trot Jose Reyes out there every day. For Zdrubal Cabrera wanting a trade because you're moving him from short to second. You wanted a good, feel-good story in the news about your team, and that's what you did. So here's my buy or sell for you, Joe, before I rant about this, because the Mets are baseball's joke still. Um, before the season's end, if the, if the Mets season keeps going this way, we will see Tim Tebow at City Field. Uh, I, I got to sell that, Matt. Just out of principle, I got to sell that because – there are so many more deserving players, whether it be young, talented guys in that organization, or it's a journeyman who's just looking for his first call-up or is looking for his 10th call-up. There are so many other players that deserve to be out on that field. I understand the draw. I understand the allure, but that doesn't make it right. Will it happen? If that's the question... I'm still going to sell on it. I think it's just a headline grab right now and that the Mets, even the Mets, can't afford to do something like that. But the fact that we're considering that it is a possibility for the Mets, I think, says something. Because I don't think either of us can definitively say, no, this won't happen. Yeah. If it's going to happen anywhere, I guess... It's the Mets. Yeah, the Mets would be where it would happen. Yeah, when they're a 60-win team in the last week of the season and uh, nobody's showing up to City Field. And I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-Tebow. I'm very pro-Tebow. You'll never find me bad-mouthing an athlete who's just trying to get ahead, who's just trying to better himself and better those around him. And if anyone fits that bill, it's Tim Tebow. He's a great guy. Like, there's no denying that. But it's just the fact that there's so many more deserving players. I'd like to see the figure of how many sub-A or sub-professional, triple-A, farm league players there are across the nation. And we're just picking one guy out of that pack because he because of his name, because of his draw. That just feels dirty to me. Uh, I'm with you. And I, I actually agree with what you said on Tebow. Hats off to him. Ever since he started this whole baseball thing, sure, the media has wanted to follow him, but he's kind of kept his mouth shut and his head down. He's answered questions when asked, but for the most part, He's just tried to go about his business becoming a better baseball player. It's not a self-serving pursuit. He honestly thinks that he has a shot at this. Mm-hmm. And I, I because, because God, he's handled this the right all way. All things are possible, man. Anything is possible. Joe, real quickly before I move on, the Columbia Fireflies, his his team, the, the low-A Mets affiliate. I'll base, take your word for it. Come on. The, the baseball trip was there before Tebow was there, so we were there before it was ah, cool. So you got, you got your eyes on some Fireflies. We did. One of the – honestly – Probably my favorite minor league stadium I've ever been to. Fantastic stadium down there in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're ever in that, if, if you're ever in that neck of the woods, get yourself to a Fireflies game. Check out a Fireflies game. That's my shameless baseball trip plug of the week. All right, Joe. Let's move on to buy, uh, excuse me, mail back here, not buy or sell. We just did the, the buy or sell. This one comes from our, our good friend Matt Siegert. Um, Shout out to Siegs. What up, Big Red? Big Red. Uh, Cody Bellinger, Aaron Judge, both tearing it up in the uh, in the majors. Which, going forward, do you think has the brighter future ahead of them? Better set up for success. Better set up for success. Uh, it, it, you know, it's hard to forecast 20 years in the future. If I could, I wouldn't be sitting here on a podcast talking with you, Matt. That's not but, very nice. I'd still be here with you. Maybe I would. Maybe I would. I don't know. I'd probably be you know, investing in futures, but whatever. Um, best situation... There's a lot to weigh there. I'd say the better situation is Aaron Judge, just for, I don't know. The first thing that came to mind was the ballpark that the guys play in. And New York's one of the most hitter-friendly parks in the, in the entire major leagues. So if he continues to play for New York for his entire career, his numbers are going to be crazy. If he can sustain this kind of success, he will regress to the mean at some point, just like Bellinger will, but... My, my head initially went to the park, and that's that's why I would I would go that direction. Just because there there's so many different things you could base this answer, and you could say, oh, Bellinger's got the better career layout because 
he's in Los Angeles, and teams have to travel to the West Coast, but they have to travel to the East Coast a bunch, so that puts them in a worse. So there's a million different things to weigh in this. I'm going to say Aaron Judge because because the jury's still out. <laughs> that, oh, you that was you're good, Joe. That was that was Thank good. You. That was good. You're, you're very clever. Um, oh God, save me here. Say something. You know, I, this is a tough one. I th- honestly, I think if you had to draw up two perfect situations for, for a guy to be in, I think these are probably the two you, you set up with. Um, maybe Boston would be you know one that compares with them, but I, th- I think these are two ideal situations. Judge maybe sets up a, a little bit better in that he has you know the DH to always fall back on, but Bellinger is you know even now playing a lot of first base, so I don't think there's there much of a difference. I like your idea about the parks. I really hadn't even thought of that that much. You know, Yankee Stadium, very hitter-friendly. Dodger Stadium, not quite as much, but also the parks in that division. Obviously, Coors Field is a hitter's park, but San Diego, Arizona, San Francisco, not at all hitter's parks. Um, whereas Judge has Boston, too, which is a great hitter's park. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess just to play devil's advocate, I might go with Bellinger simply because you know, he, he's still a little bit younger. He's doing this all at a younger age than Judge was. Granted, he's not hitting as, for, uh, as much average, but his, his home runs and RBI out numbers are right on par with his. Um, and I think Judge has he's, – he's, he's a much bigger body. Um, granted, Frank Thomas didn't have many problems with it, and he, he could go on to be a hitter like that where he just doesn't have problems. But a lot of times bigger bodies tend to break down uh, a little yeah, bit earlier, and maybe there. that's – that's the only. I, I'm struggling to see negatives for either guy going forward in their career, um, but that's maybe the one I can come up with. Not, but either way, I think you're seeing long, successful careers for both these guys, provided they stay healthy. You know, till the end when maybe Judge's body breaks down because it's a little bit bigger. But that's really the that, that's nitpicking at this point. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think both of them have very sex. sex oh, pardon. That's successful. Okay. They both have sexy careers out ahead of them. No shot on um, no, They both have successful careers out in front of them, but I agree with your point of kind of the attrition that a big body can take. And I'm not going to be the one to question him, but there would be perspective, possible other reasons why Aaron Judge's body would break down, and I'm going to leave it at that. No comment. No comment. No comment. From the jury? No From comment. the... Oh, God. My defense rests. We declare that a mistrial if it happened. And I'm, I'm so embarrassed because I know your dad's probably listening to this and just being like, those are just the wrong terms. We're just he probably just thinks we're both idiots. TJR, that's my bad. That's Granted, my he's probably bad. always thought we were both idiots. It, that was, it's been <laughs> confirmed now. You know, that was never my calling. That was never my calling. Oh, Lord. Well, Matt, thank you, Matt Rooney and Matt Siegert for... Uh, Sending that question in, be sure to hit us up at Moose and Runes on Twitter. Check us out on SoundCloud. Check us out on iTunes. We're the real deal now. You can, you can subscribe. Uh, give us those likes. Whatever you can do, Matt. Uh, you got any parting words for, for our good people, for the listeners? You know, today was episode nine, which means in in numbers terms. Next episode will be episode <laughs> 10. That's math, that's, you guys. I believe that's how that works. Um, which means we'll officially be eligible for a top 10. We could have a top 10 show Whoa. for our episodes. We could rank them. Whoa. Yeah. We might have yeah. to start selling, blocking out. Let's start blocking out some ad space. Let's monetize this thing. Yeah, this is we're, we're taking off here. We're going to the moon. We've got 10 episodes. Most of the uh, podcast brought to you by MeUndies. <laughs> Hey, MeUndies sponsors everybody. We might as well get them, too. That was, that was my coward impression. MeUndies, Blue Apron, Indochino. Yeah. Oh, you know, the, the big names, the, the big hitters in podcasting. Shut it down. Shut it all down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Houston, we have shut down. I've seen enough. Shut it down. All right, Matt. Well, I'm going to shut us down. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining me again on the Moose and Rooms podcast, episode nine. We will be back here for our 10th podcast next Monday. Hopefully we have plenty to talk about. But I want to shut us down talking about something that uh, has been smack dab right in front of my face for the last two weeks. Uh, Here in Nebraska, the Nebraska football team is doing an outstanding job of recruiting for the future. They are the number six recruiting class, according to Rivals and ESPN, 2018 recruiting class. So in the last two years, three years, the Mike Riley era, they've really bumped up how much they put into recruiting. Last Friday and the Friday prior, they had what they call their Friday Night Lights games. 
and now a couple hundred players from the local area came to the first one, and then a couple hundred players from across the nation came to the one last Friday. It is a spectacle, and the best of the best come. Micah Parsons was there. He's an outside linebacker, defensive end, hybrid type, number three player in the nation. So they're getting the names to come, and they're awesome spectacles. There were 7,000 Husker fans there to watch a glorified high school practice. Now these guys are going at it. They're running one-on-ones. They're doing awesome stuff, and you're getting to see what the future might look like. That's important. But what's just as important is how we treat these kids. They're still recruits. There were a couple eighth graders on the field at Memorial Field on Friday. Kids are, recruit, kids are making a big deal of the recruitment now and they're announcing with big videos on Twitter and they're doing all this and this opens them up to public criticism. But they're still 17 and 18 year olds, sometimes 16 and 15 year olds. They are still young men who are privy to all of this information on the internet just like we all are. Keep your opinions to yourself. If it's something positive, say, hey, welcome to Nebraska, go Big Red. Give them positivity, show them what it's gonna be like. But if they go in a different direction, too often these kids get torn apart and berated on Twitter where they're just making a decision. And it's a big decision for the rest of their lives and they're already opened up to a professional level of criticism on Twitter. It's just not right and I think it needs to stop because being able to see top level recruiting uh, with a front row seat has been something that I really enjoy and it's been amazing to see that the professionalism which with these kids treat the process I think we owe them a little professionalism on the back end as fans and as reporters and as journalists so that's my shutter down for the day Matt uh, always a pleasure like I said Moose and Rouge podcast episode 9 in the books like us on Twitter subscribe on iTunes find us elsewhere Matt it's always a pleasure talking with you Uh, Say goodbye to the people. We'll see you next week for episode 10. Peace. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome.